Hello, and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 132, where we go <clears throat> back, back, back to the past, 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 past. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't quite have the uh, same mighty reverb, and uh, by now you're probably wondering why I'm delivering this part, because I'm certainly not suited for it, but uh, there is a reason for that. Uh, this week, our schedules just didn't line up. Uh, like two ships in the night, we uh, just were not able to hook up and uh, get the episode out. But uh, not to leave you guys on a lurch, we wanted to give you all a look at just what we do over at patreon.com forward slash Chris and Reggie. This is going to be a sample episode uh, from the Cosmic Treadmill After Dark collection. It is going to be probably the least controversial of the ones we have covered. Uh, this one was originally uh, After Dark episode 3. It was Dark Dungeons. This is uh, all about Jack Chick and the uh, satanic panic uh, Chick tracks, if you're uh, familiar with that. This originally uh, went up on uh, the Patreon site on December 18th, 2018. And uh, we hope you enjoy a, a little bit of a look behind the curtain here. See what uh, see what you might be interested in, uh, in checking out if you want to head over to that site. And uh, chip in a little bit and there'll be plenty for you to listen to over there. Now, uh, since these episodes, the After Dark episodes, are a little bit less formal... There isn't a whole lot of contact information and stuff like that included at the end of them. It's usually just a, a thanks and a goodbye. So I'll put that stuff right here. Now you could subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and I didn't think of a funny joke here, so we'll just let it go at that. Uh, you can uh, find us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us. We're also at chrisandreggie.com. You can get us at patreon.com slash chrisandreggie. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash history. We're on Instagram at CosmicTmill, on Twitter at CosmicTmill. Reggie's on Twitter at ReggieReggie, and I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out our weekly writings on DC Comics over at WeirdScienceDCComics.com. You can check out my personal site, ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com. And again, the uh, website for the show, ChrisAndReggie.com. And of course, we still have the 80sTees.com banner that you can check out. At any time, and uh, maybe find something to cover your uh, your torso. Uh, we hope you enjoy this uh, this look into what's on under the uh, wall there, or what's behind the wall. And uh, we'll be back at you next week. See ya. Reach out, Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill After Dark, episode number three, where we go to the back, back of the, of the store, store, where you probably shouldn't be looking for comics. Uh -huh. It's not good back there. Behind the curtain. No. Uh, I, know the, I, I know the curtain. It always looks uh, looks very dingy. It's, very, it's not inviting. It's, it's, not, it's not a curtain <laughs> of wonder, I'll tell you. Uh, this is, of course, a Patreon exclusive, uh, so thank you. To all of our patrons, uh, we picked Absolutely. up a couple this month. Thanks and welcome. Um, let us know if you want us to set something up where you guys can talk to each other and talk to us more directly. Um, there are a lot of ways we could go with it. 
there are different chats. We could even set something up, I think, on Patreon. If that's something that's interesting, let us know through post or you know how to get to us, email or Twitter. Uh, we could set that up. This month, though, we have a uh, something I think of as interesting, a little bit different than we've done the last two times. So, Chris, a little less yeah, sexy. Not dirty. Yeah, not, not as dirty. dirty. <laughs> uh, we're going to be reading Jack Chick's Dark Dungeons tract and talking about the satanic panic of the 1980s and 1990s. Now, who is Jack Chick? Well, his full name is Jack Thomas Chick, born April 13th, 1924, in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Uh, later, his family moved to the nearby Alhambra neighborhood, and there, Jack was active in his high school's drama club. According to Chick, he was not religious in high school. After graduation, he continued his drama education at the Pasadena Playhouse School of Theater on a two-year scholarship. In uh, February 1943, Chick was drafted as a private into the U.S. Army, and he served for three years in the Pacific Theater of World War II in New Guinea, Australia, the Philippines, and Japan. And while there, this gave Jack an appreciation for different languages and cultures, as well as exposing him to folks around the world that were in dire need. This is important, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, after the war, he returned to the Pasadena Playhouse and met his wife, Lola Lynn Priddle, while working on a production there. A Canadian immigrant, Lola came from a very religious family, and Chick called her instrumental in his salvation. Yeah, Priddle and her parents introduced Chick to the Charles E. Fuller radio show called The Old Fashioned Revival Hour. Chick would say that he was converted while listening to an episode of this show. The Old Fashioned Revival Hour broadcast was originally recorded in a Hollywood studio. Then, in 1941, it was moved to the Long Beach Municipal Auditorium in Long Beach, California. From 1941 through 1958, audience attended services that were broadcast live on the radio from that auditorium. After January 12, 1958, the program was again produced in a studio. Now, the broadcasts were noted for the music, uh, featuring the old-fashioned Revival Hour Choir and Quartet, accompanied by organist uh, George Broadbent and pianist Rudy Atwood. Uh, the choir made several popular recordings in the 40s and 50s. Aided by his wife Grace, Charles Fuller and the old-fashioned Revival Hour program created a family-like atmosphere, and by 1942 it had attracted an audience of over 10 million listeners worldwide. That's a... Uh... It's a lot, a lot of numbers. Those are big numbers, yeah. I, I get the, I get the impression this was sort of a, a bit of a foot stomping, kind of like, kind of like a uh, black Baptist church for white people. Yeah, Maybe it's, it's a lot of singing, a lot of hollering, you know. But it, it was still very, uh, you know, uh, pasty. Anyway, um, so Charles Fuller preached, and Jack Chick would adopt what is called evangelical Christianity. Uh, another term that gets banded about pretty loosely, uh, evangelism with respect to Christianity is the commitment to publicly preaching the, of the gospel with the intention of spreading the message and teachings of Jesus Christ. Most evangelicals are opposed to proselytism, which is the act of attempting to convert people to another religion or opinion. Uh, this, this might require distorting the gospel or using coercion or exploitation, and those are methods that are not very Christian in general. So mm -hmm. this is the difference here: is that uh, a lot of a lot of folks that are claiming evangelical or that are being called evangelical, they really are more uh, proselytizing out there. Uh, a biblical quote from Matthew ch chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 in the New Testament justifies most evangelical Christians by 
saying, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Chick and Priddle would get married in 1948, and uh, together they had one child named Carol. From 1953 to 55, Chick drew a single-panel cartoon whose text was written by P.S. Clayton, and it was called Times Have Changed? And it was syndicated by uh, Mirror Enterprises Company throughout the Los Angeles area. Now, it resembled the BC comic strip by by Johnny Hart and the uh, Flintstones animated cartoon, but predated both of them. Essentially, this is about cavemen and cave women coping with prehistoric versions of modern conveniences. Yeah. After converting to Christianity, Chick wanted to evangelize others, but he was too shy to talk to people directly. Chick would hear from missionary Bob Hammond, who had broadcast in Asia on The Voice of America, that the Communist Party of China had gained significant influence among ordinary Chinese in the 1950s through the distribution of small comic books. Hey. Yeah. Now, Voice of America is a federally funded international radio station reserved specifically for non-military external broadcasting. So he hit upon the idea of creating witnessing tracts, which would be given to people directly or indirectly. Indeed, Jack recommended having the, leaving these tracts on uh, public transportation or on park benches, anywhere somebody might happen across them and uh, maybe take Just a look. pick them up, yeah. Sure. Now, while working for the Astro Science Corporation, that's a maker of tape recorders and avionics for the U.S. government in El Monte, California, Jack self-published his first tract called Why No Revival. With a loan from his credit union, this was in 1960. He published his second tract called A Demon's Nightmare in 1962. Jack decided to create more tracts and began, quote, using his kitchen table as an office and art studio. Uh, Christian bookstores were reluctant to accept the tracts, but they were um, they were popular among missionaries and churches. So, Chick Publications was officially established in 1970 in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Love initially, saying that. We love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, initially, Chick wrote and illustrated all of the comics himself, but in 1972, he hired Fred Carter to illustrate many of the tracts. His identity was kept a secret until a 1980 issue of the Jack Chick newsletter, Battle Cry. Now, I believe that's a thing. It is definitely a thing. There's yeah. a, a lot of issues. How about that? Uh, now, uh, a tract in its current definition is a brief pamphlet uh, used for religious and political purposes. We're talking specifically about the tracts that would be used by Jack Chick. Uh, now, a Chick Chack specifically is a roughly 3 by 5 inch 20 page black and white comic self-covered with a two color cover. Each cover's design is the same. The left half is an image on a one color background, and the right half of the tract in the, in, is uh, the title of the tract uh, in white on a black background. The interior is comics, usually two panels per page, read left to right across both pages. Uh, it comes naturally when you look at it, believe us. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not hard to read. Uh, the inside back cover often has the sinner's prayer, and the back cover has a blank space reserved for a church or institution stamp or mark. Uh, and now we're going to read one of them in just a couple of minutes, but first we want to talk about something Jack Trick 
I don't know if we could say he contributed to it, but he definitely... Uh, he didn't hurt it. He didn't hurt it. He definitely <laughs> did benefit from it. There's no question. For sure. It's about the satanic panic. Uh, that's a term given to a period in the 1980s and 1990s when large swaths of mainstream society supposedly believed that Satan was influencing society and children in particular through popular culture. Uh, Satan is, in the New Testament, the fallen angel who seduces folks into giving up their souls to hell. Now, the great-granddaddy of the Satanic Panic was John Wayne Todd, a self-proclaimed preacher who toured the country in a revivalist style. His earliest known public speaking engagements would begin in 1968, when he was preaching and married to a woman named Linda. He claimed that he had been on a he had been a witch while in the United States Navy, but converted to Christianity while visiting a Pentecostal church. After disappearing from public sight for a few months, Todd returned without a wife, saying that God told them to seek other mates. So he's got the direct line. Nice, yeah. Uh, In uh, 1974, Todd moved to Dayton, Ohio, where he opened an occult bookstore and began recruiting for a Wiccan coven. In late 1977, Todd denounced witchcraft and returned to Christianity, claiming the existence of a vast satanic conspiracy led by an order of witches called the Illuminati, supposedly including a number of Christian organizations and well-known Christian figures such as Jim Baker, Jerry Falwell, Billy Graham, Bob Jones Sr., Oral Roberts, and Pat Robertson. That's the hit parade of the television evangelists right there. Absolutely. Uh, so Todd uh, claimed to have claimed to have given as a member of the Illuminati $8 million to Pastor Chuck Smith of, of Calvary Chapel to launch the Christian rock industry, which Todd said was a satanic invention to entrap Christian young people in rock music and its, quote, demonic beat, end quote. Todd claimed that Falwell had been bribed by the Illuminati with a $50 million donation and also claimed that U.S. President Jimmy Carter was the Antichrist and that Ayn Rand's 1957 novel Atlas Shrugged was the Illuminati's blueprint for unleashing a planned satanic takeover. Todd urged Christians to stockpile weapons and, f- and food in preparation for a satanic takeover in 1980. He significantly curtailed his public speaking after 1979, reportedly moving to rural Montana after issuing warnings about that the satanic takeover had begun. Uh, Jack Chick's comic book Spellbound features Todd appearing under his claimed witch name, Lance Collins. Uh, that book, Spellbound, claims the entire rock music industry is controlled by witches who cast spells on the master tapes to cause evil spirits to follow all the recordings thus produced, resulting in kids becoming demon-possessed from listening to rock and roll. Chick's comic book, The Broken Cross, featuring two evangelists busting up a satanic cult that had taken over a California town, also cites Todd as its primary source. An early version of Chick's track, Dark Dungeons, encourages readers to burn their occult books, including C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, When people got angry, Chick uh, Chick cited Sean Todd as the source for his information, but removed it in later versions due to complaints. Indeed, you'll see when we read it in just a little bit, there's a very John Todd-like character in Dark Dungeons. The whole satanic panic started its uh, initial sputters with the publication of Mike Warnke's The Satan Seller. That was by Logos Associates in 1972. In this autobiography, Reverend Warnke uh, claims to have been orphaned as a child and was later introduced to Satanism, within which uh, for nine months he lived in a world involving sexual orgies, alcoholism, and drug dealing. His rise in the ranks of Satanism to the levels of high priest, also presiding over satanic rituals including magical spells, summoning demons, ritual sex, including a ritual kidnap and rape, and an attempt on his life, a forced, uh, in the form of a forced heroin overdose, 
Uh, and that left him angry and disillusioned. It's always so, the uh, best attempt on a life is a forced heroin overdose. So it's like yeah. the least likely way to kill someone. Quick, <laughs> quick and to the point. Very quick, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, he would enlist in the United States Navy in 1966, and he did a six-month tour in Vietnam. This is where he claims to have been converted to Christianity. Uh, this military duty is also the only verified fact in the entire book. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Satan seller was embra- embraced by evangelical communities and became a rallying cry for them to stamp out Satanism and its worshippers once and for all. Now, just as, as an aside, during some evangelist event, John Todd and Warnke had a backstage confrontation, and Todd accused Warnke of stealing his testimony regarding the Illuminati. <laughs> Can't we work together, guys? We're, all, we're on the same page here, anyway. <laughs> now, the uh, Satan seller, uh, unfortunately, was not a huge commercial hit for the fella. Uh, th- that came with a book that ripped this one off entirely. Yeah, uh, this movement picked up mainstream steam with the release of memoir Michelle Remembers, a book published by Pocket Books in 1980 by psychiatrist Lawrence Padster and Michelle Smith. Pazder used hypnosis to uncover Michelle's memories of satanic ritual abuse and being subject to satanic rites during which she was allegedly tortured, locked in cages, sexually assaulted, forced to take part in various rituals, witnessed several murders, and was rubbed with the blood and body parts of various murdered babies and adults. The first alleged ritual attended by Smith took place in 1954 when she was five years old. And the final one documented in the book was an 81-day ritual in 1955 that summoned the devil himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael the Archangel, who removed the scars received by Smith throughout the year of abuse and removed memories of the events until the time was right. So, ages five to six, all that happened. It's pretty uh, wild. It is. First grade year right there. Uh, (laughs) This book has been totally debunked now. Uh, I mean, how could any group practice an 81-day ritual without anyone even wondering where where they went, you know? Yeah. You know? uh, And the recalled events may be the result of implanted memories or consist of falsely extracted confessions. But this book was taken very seriously at the time, and some police stations used it as a kind of training manual for dealing with what was said to be encroaching occult influence. So definitely picking up steam. Yeah. Uh, in America, the satanic panic really kicked off in 1982 with the uh, Kern County child abuse cases, in which as many as, as 60 children in Kern County, California, testified that they'd undergone satanic ritual abuse. This began when Alvin and Debbie McQuan, McQuan is it? McQuan, I guess that's a Yeah. <laughs> Alvin and Debbie McQuan, they have uh, two daughters, coached by their custodial step-grandfather, Marianne, grandmother, I'm sorry, Marianne Barber, alleged that they had been abused by their parents and accused them of being part of a sex ring that included neighbors Scott and Brenda Niffin. Uh, the Niffin's two sons also claimed to have been abused. There's no physical evidence ever found, but the McQuans and the Kniffins were uh, convicted in 1984 and given a combined sentence of over 1,000 years in prison. Wow. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, boy, it is. Can- cancel your uh, Just say your life. Vacation. Just say life. You know, I mean, really, at that point, it's a fear effectively, you know, <laughs> like, why, why make a, put a number on it? Sure. Now, uh, prior to the start of the uh, Kern County child abuse cases, several local social workers had attended training and received documentation that foregrounded satanic ritual abuse as a major element in child sexual abuse and had used Michelle Remembers as their training material. 
One of the most famous pieces of documentation provided to the police of the era was Satanic Cult Awareness, presented by Galand W. Hurst, Ph.D., and Robert L. Marsh. This is the document that suggests the names of the rock bands Kiss and Wasp stand for Knights in Satan's Service and We Are Satan's People, respectively. I love the second one. Like, I, like that would be your, you know, We Are Satan's People. Like, that sounds almost like a uh, helpful organization, you know. We're Satan's yeah, they, people. they show, yeah. like, banners with sun, sunlight. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Parading uh, over a hill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sent Chris that uh, this uh, that pamphlet, too. It's really, it's really something. It is wild. Uh, anyway, so, now in 1983, Judy Johnson, mother of one man, mother of one of men, Manhattan Beach, California's McMartin Preschool's students reported to the police that her son had been abused by the staff at the preschool. Johnson made several more accusations, including that people at the daycare had sexual encounters with animals, that the administrator Peggy drilled a child under the arms, and, quote, staff member Ray flew in the air. The police then sent a form letter to about 200 parents of students at the McMartin School stating their children might have been abused and asking the parents to question their children. Here's an edited version of it, and it's as follows. September 8th, 1983. Dear Parent, This department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. An employee at Virginia McMartin's preschool was arrested September 7th, 1983 by this department. The following procedure is obviously an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children, as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. We are asking your assistance in in this continuing investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime, or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttock or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed this employee to leave a classroom alone uh, to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period, or if they have ever observed this employee tie up a child, is important. We ask you to please keep this investigation strictly confidential because of the nature of the charges and the highly emotional effect it could have on our community. Please do not discuss this investigation with anyone outside of your immediate family. Do not contact or discuss the investigation with the accused. Any member of the accused defendant's family or employees connected with the McMartin Preschool. And I took the name out, but they had actually put the accused name in there. In there, yeah. Uh, effectively uh, ruining their lives, right, you know, forever. Forever, right yeah. Uh, and uh, as you might imagine, that made some parents freak out a little. Go figure, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, several hundred children were then interviewed by the Children's Institute International. That's a Los Angeles abuse therapy clinic uh, run by Key McFarlane. And interviewing the interviewing techniques used during investigations of the allegations were highly suggestive and invited children to pretend or speculate about supposed events. So very scientific stuff here. Uh, by spring of 1984, it was claimed that 360 children had been abused. Some of the accusations were described as bizarre, which is uh, an understatement. Uh, children alleged that, in addition to having been sexually abused, they saw witches fly, they traveled in a hot air balloon, and were taken through underground tunnels, which uh, the police looked for and uh, they did not find any evidence of. When shown a series of photographs, one child identified actor Chuck Norris 
as one of the abusers. Well, that's not possible. No, he would never do that. You know, come on now. That's the guy from Night Force. You know, come on. That's Walker, Texas that's Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Come on, kid. Get, get your head out of your butt. <laughs> and, uh, and and he's never cried or something because tears are afraid of his face or something. <laughs> there saw, there, there, there's a whole book. Right. There, so. There's a whole list of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, there were claims of orgies at car washes and airports and of children being flushed down toilets. To secret rooms where they would be abused. That's my favorite one. Just the, the, that's yeah, that's got to be the best. I was going to say, that's like, when do I, when's my turn? You know? uh, now, uh, <laughs> you don't like the landing, but the trip. Uh, now, Judy Johnson, who started the whole mess, was diagnosed with and hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia. Huh. And wow. in 19... Yeah, go figure. And in 1986, was found dead in her home from complications of chronic alcoholism before the preliminary hearing concluded. Because, you know, oh yes, uh, these folks went to trial after sitting in jail on $1 million bail, or in the case of Ray Buckley, without bail. Yeah, at all. This is, again, based on Test, testimony. There's no other evidence. There's nothing else. It's just the testimony of, of these just kids. The, just the highly scientific. Uh, hey, kid, do you like fire? Yeah, yeah, I like fire's cool. Yeah, do, do you ever, do you ever like to start fires? Well, well no, but maybe. Oh, 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 so you're an arsonist. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, the you sa- same kind stuff. of logic. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a lot of uh, documentaries where you can watch some of these uh, questions being asked, and it's, it's. I mean, it's, you know, how do you talk to a six-year-old kid? You know, it's like, it's, oh, yeah. it's hard to get the, a fact it, out of him, but anyway. And it's it's even easy to do it to adults, too, because uh, in sure. the late 70s, or whenever Sybil came out, uh, that's when the spike in multiple personality diagnoses oh, yeah. came out, and that was all debunked and I mean, big lawsuits. Just as an aside, I was going to even say, uh, you know, Michelle Remembers sort of came out of that Sybil Sure. You know, it was all about psychologists, you know, uncovering your hidden memories. And that even went into later on a lot of uh, alien abduction things in in the 70s and 80s. But those are kind of ancillary to the satanic panic. But it's all part of the same milieu. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, after, you know, we, we got these people in jail, these poor innocent folks sitting in jail for doing nothing. Uh, but then, weirdly, many more allegations of satanic ritual abuse in American preschools began coming out on the heels of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got 1984, Fells Acres Day- Daycare Center. After staff member Gerald Amaralt of the Fells Acres Daycare Center in Maiden, Massachusetts, changed the pants on a young boy who had wet himself, the boy's mother, uncle, and therapist questioned him over a period of months until the boy alleged that Gerald had been sexually abusing him. Uh, so don't don't leave him in the wet pants. The old sure. duck season, rabbit season thing. You know, you keep, totally. keep asking, and eventually it'll be duck season, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, now, Gerald, uh, then his mother and sister, were eventually all convicted of abusing nine children based on testimony extracted using the same coercive techniques. The claims included the children being abused with knives, sticks, forks, and magic wands. Uh, They were also assaulted by a clown in a secret room and in a magic room where they were forced to drink urine and uh, they were tied naked to trees. Yeah. And uh, it it gets even so weirder. Yeah. In 1985, there was what they called the Bronx Five case, and this was five men, including a Methodist minister, were convicted on charges they had molested children at daycares throughout the Bronx. As a result of these charges, some federally subsidized daycares lost their funding. The case actually made a actually begun as a genuine case grounded in actual crime, but as more kids were interviewed using these coercive techniques, it soon spun out into these more and more ridiculous allegations and picked up these uh, four other guys in the process. 
Yeah, you, you miss the trees for the forest here. You really it's just do, yeah. wild. Yeah. Uh, also in 1985, we have Can Nursery School in Maplewood, New Jersey. This was April of 85. Now, when our nurse took the temperature of a four-year-old boy with a rectal thermometer, and the boy said, that's what my teacher does to me at nap time at school, the comment was reported to local authorities, and all the children at the Can Nursery School were questioned. Social workers and therapists collected testimony from 51 children. That included, among other accusations, that a school owner, Margaret Kelly Michaels, forced them to lick peanut butter off her genitals. <sighs> that she penetrated their rectums and vaginas with knives, forks, and other objects. And that she forced them to eat cakes made from human excrement. And that she made them play duck, duck, goose while naked. Uh, 1987, this one's a little bit different. The way this one wrapped up is sort of interesting. This is the Cleveland child abuse scandal in England. Uh, during the period of February to July uh, 1987, 121 children living in Cleveland, England, were removed from their homes by social service agencies and diagnosed as sexually abused by two pediatricians at Middlesbrough Hospital using the later discredited diagnostic, diagnostic of reflex anal dilation. This is, put bluntly, the tendency of the butthole to pucker when the area is lightly stimulated or exposed. That's all. So, as you can see, it's not a really a good indicator a good of what they've been abused. Yeah. Uh, not only were the taxpayers skeptical about reflex anal dilation, but they also thought it was strange that social services was removing children from their homes in the middle of the night. So, uh, instead of, you know, America, where these trials went on and bails were set, uh, a procession of Cleveland's pe people marched down to the hospital where the 121 children were being kept, and the whole thing was settled reasonably well. They released the kids, and that was the end of that. So, boy, oh boy. That, that's the way, I gotta say, Chris, I'd like to see more things settled that way. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, get caught and dry, get them out. Just, just get the people together, and all right, this is what we're, we're, this is how it's going to be. But anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, 1989, the Glendale Montessori sexual abuse case in Stewart, Florida. An office manager and the owner of Glendale Montessori School was, uh, was accused of kidnapping and committing ritual abuse against six boys in 1986 and 87, despite there being no evidence. Investigators claim to have allegations from 60 victims between the ages of two and five, which were never produced. The office manager pled to a lesser offense and got five years. The owner invoked the uh, Jimmy Rice Act, which allowed him to plead a uh, guilty plea while maintaining his innocence in order to serve a 27-year sentence. And this is uh, opposed to uh, life in prison. Yeah, that is a better option when you look at it. Yeah. But what a weird, this is only in America you could have a thing where you could plead guilty, maintain your innocence, instead go to jail. And like, still go to jail every, for a very, very long time. Win-win <laughs> situation. Uh, 1989, the Little Rascals Daycare Center scandal in Eddington, North Carolina here. A total of 90 children made allegations against the owners of the Little Rascals Daycare Center. For some children, it took up to 10 months to get all the details. Details. During the trial, children were asked to testify about events that had occurred three years previously with memories refreshed in therapy sessions, meetings with the prosecution, and repeated discussions with the parents. While the alleged abuse was occurring, no parents noticed anything unusual about their children's behavior to indicate it was happening. But these folks were still convinced on 90, uh, convicted on 99 of 100 counts of child and sexual abuse in what, North, in what was North Carolina's most expensive criminal court case to that date. Now, I just want to cut in real quick and just say, you know, 
Chris and I are being glib about the situation because these allegations are ridiculous. You know, they just uh, seem like so out of this world. Yeah, just this, the you know this the the number of children and some of these things, and then to say that they were abused with knives and. Things would have come out up to this point, you know, but we I don't mean, want some you know, of the some of the allegations are they saw people flying. You know what I mean? That people got flushed out of toilet. You know, that's not <sighs> that's that's a, something a kid says. That's not actually a thing that happened. But uh, I just want just want to say, you know, we're not. We don't think it's a funny topic, but no, in, certainly not. In this particular uh, thing, this, this this panicked time, it was really. It just seemed they were upping the ante on each time on how crazier the allegations could be. Anyway, back to the oh, uh, yeah. story. It was. Uh, can you top this every single case? It seems pretty here. much. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now these cases, among others, they were the backdrop against which the uh, Satanic Panic played as the definitive proof that Satan was real and was. You know, messing with people, right? Uh, or at least that people believed in Satan. That the people who believed in Satan were real, and they wanted to corrupt and murder your children. Yeah, quickly, I just want to make that point that a lot of times people look back at the satanic the satanic panic, and they say, uh, you know, how weird that all these mainstream people believe that Satan had possessed people. That's that's really is a reductive way to look at it. It was that they were afraid sure. of satanic cults that were, you know, and that was definitely being, you know. We were told that was very prolific by the police and by the media, uh, and that wasn't true either. But it wasn't a matter of Satan; it was the people that believed in Satan and the harm they might do. That was the that was the worry. Anyway, no, it's a very important distinction because I it, think it, a lot of people write this off as just lun- lunacy. And uh, and and while we're having fun with it, I mean, if you if you get a bunch of people together believing that they need to do certain things to please Satan, that 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 could be a very dangerous group of people. And, sure, they uh, were around. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, but but that's you know, we have this idea that oh, we're so much smarter than. That now, it's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not. We can really fall into the same thing, folks. Believe Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Now, uh, another thing we want to discuss is backmasking, which is a recording technique in which sound or message is recorded backwards onto a track that is meant to be played forwards. Backmasking is a deliberate process, whereas a message found through phonetic reversal may be unintentional. Jacob Aranza is the author of books such as Backward Masking Unmasked that was published by Vital Signs in 1983, and it was a major proponent on the theory that rock groups used backmasking to hide satanic phrases or spells that could subconsciously get the listener. Uh, note that, despite Aranza's book title, back, backward masking is different than backmasking and refers to the temporal masking of quiet sounds that occur moments before a louder sound. So subliminal messages would qualify as backward masking. Yeah, it's a different recording thing, but whatever. Uh, so backmasking was popularized by the Beatles, who used backward instrumentation over their 1966 album Revolver, and it was since actually used by countless rock bands over the decades. What Aranza and proponents railed against, however, was not actually backmasking, but phonetic reversal. Supposedly, playing parts of the following songs led to evil passages. Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin allegedly contained long passages if played backwards along the lines of Here's to my sweet Satan. He will give you 666 and happy is the man who makes me sad whose power is Satan. Another song is A Child is Coming by Paul Kantner and Jefferson Starship. It allegedly said uh, Son of Satan repeated over and over when played backwards. The hook blind to Another One Bites the Dust by Queen supposedly sounded like Start to Smoke Marijuana or It's Fun to Smoke Marijuana when played backwards. And it was further rumored that if you again reverse the reverse song, the song actually glorified mass shootings. 
What happens if you do it three or four times? I, I, don't, I don't want to know. They probably give you a recipe for brownies. I, I'm telling you, that, now that's some deep recording, you know. It's like, wow. <laughs> now, uh, uh, he, he is a nasty one. Christ, you infernal is said to... Little, little. Where am I? Oh, here we go. He is the nasty one, Christ, you're infernal. It is said we're dead men. Everyone who has the mark will live. That line can be heard in El Dorado by Electric Light Orchestra when played backwards. In Snowblind by Styx, it said that you can hear Satan move through our voices when playing it in reverse. When Electricity Came to Arkansas by Black Oak, Arkansas, contains the phrase, Satan, 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 he is God, he is God, he is God, when played backwards, so it was claimed. And some people have even found hidden messages in the Pledge of Allegiance reverse. So that's how far back it goes, Chris, even before recorded music. And, and if our listeners have never heard some of these songs, it's like, it's like Satan, Satan, Satan is more like, oh yeah, yeah. It's, you, it's like such a reach. You really have to reach to hear these things. It's, yeah, it's you have to want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. You, but I, I also love the very idea that 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 someone would do this. You know, that would that would create a phrase that sounded perfect. In forward, so that it sounds like phonetically else yeah. in reverse. Uh, it's just like this is this is Freddie Mercury. This isn't that's you know. A, uh, that's a level of genius. Long, that Longfellow long over here, you know, give me a break. Uh, so anyway, uh, Seattle-based grunge band Soundgarden parodied the phenomenon of satanic bass mask back masking on their 1989 album Ultra Mega OK. When played backwards, the songs 665 and 667 reveal a song about Santa Claus. Hey, electric-like orchestra and stick. Sticks release songs that parody the allegations made against them. They got a little back, uh, they got back at their allegations. On ELO's album Face the Music, the song Down Hometown begins with a voice repeating, twice repeating in reverse, Face the Mighty Waterfall, and the opening instrumental Fire on High contains the backmast message, The music is reversible, but time is not. Turn back, turn back, turn back, turn back. And their 1983 album Secret Messages was dedicated to this controversy entirely. Styx also released an album in response to the allegations of satanic backmasking. 1983's Kilroy Was Here, which deals with an allegorical group called the Majority for Musical Morality that outlaws rock music. Uh, A sticker on the album cover uh, contains the message, By order of the Majority for Musical Morality... This album contains secret backward messages. And the song Heavy uh, Heavy Metal Poisoning does, in fact, contain the backmasked Latin words Anuit Cretis Novus Ordo Secularum, which means God has favored our undertakings, a new order for the ages. Uh, part of the great seal of the on the back of the U.S. dollar bill. That's right. And uh, there are many, many more examples, but... Uh, I mean, how many more do we have to go through? They're they're all silly. Yeah, and I'll, it's just, this is not actually a rock music uh, podcast, even though no. sometimes we wish it could be. Anyway. It could be, yes. <laughs> now, what the, getting closer to what the tract we're going to discuss is all about, yeah. we're going to look at uh, Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> now, that's a fantasy tabletop role-playing game designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. It was originally published by Tactical Studies Rules Incorporated. That's TSR back in 1974. To explain the gameplay would take more time than we'd like 
dollar to spend. But suffice it to say that it, that it was beset by some evangelical groups almost immediately due to its swords and sorcery content. That's right. It was figured as being occult because it has occult things magic. in it, like magic yeah. and, you know, demons and what have you. Uh, James Dallas Egbert, Egbert III was a student at Michigan State University who just disappeared from his dormitory room on August 15, 1979. After leaving a suicide note, Egbert entered the university's steam tunnels and took some methoquilone, a set intending to commit suicide. After waking up the next day, he went into hiding at a friend's house. Egbert's parents hired a private investigator, William Deere, to find their son, and students were reported to play live-action sessions of the game in the steam tunnels below the school. Deere speculated that Egbert was injured or otherwise disappeared during such a session. And this was how Deere related Egbert's disappearance to his involvement with the Dungeons & Dragons game, which was further promoted in the media reports incorrectly that they one mm -hmm. caused the other uh in fact by the time i heard this urban legend i was it was that the kid committed suicide because he was killed by a ghost in the game uh <laughs> but that never happened this is the root story of pretty much all those other legends sure. uh the search for egbert continued unsuccessfully for several weeks during which egbert moved to two other houses in east lansing before before finally leaving the city via bus for new orleans Egbert made a second suicide attempt in New Orleans by consuming a cyanide compound, but that also failed. He then moved to Morgan City, Louisiana, was employed as an oil field laborer, but after four days on the job, Egbert called Deere and revealed his location. Uh, the private investigator Deere traveled to Louisiana and recovered Egbert and released Egbert to the custody of his uncle, Marvin Gross, on September 13, 1979. Then, Egbert died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound on August 16, 1980, and in 1984, Deere revealed Egbert's story in The Dungeon Master, published by Houghton Mifflin. First capitalizing on Egbert's story and coming out years before Deere's book was Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters, came out through a Delacorte Press in 1981, and was adapted into a made-for-television movie starring Tom Hanks in 1982. Though the Dungeon Master's cover design did have a maze on it. So there was that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, despite the title, the Dungeon Master, uh, uh, Deere actually repudiates his earlier allegation that Egbert's disappearance was connected to D&D. He said it had more to do with Egbert coming to grips with his sexuality and his domineering mother. In 1983, the Canadian film Skullduggery depicted a role-playing game similar to D&D as a tool of the devil to transform a young man into a serial killer. Patricia Patricia Pulling formed Bad, B-A-D-D, -D, bothered about Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, this is uh, after her son, Irving, had committed suicide by shooting himself in the chest of June 1982. Uh, the name of this organization was a play on MAD, M-A-D-D, -D, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which is an organization which actually had a robust membership and resulted in changes to traffic and drinking laws nationwide. Now, the grieving mother first filed a wrongful death lawsuit against her, her son's high school principal, holding him as responsible for what she, he, what she claimed was a D&D &D curse placed upon her son's character and she also filed suit against D&D's publishers, TSR Incorporated, which appeared on an episode of 60 Minutes, which also featured Gary Gygax, and that aired in 1985. 
After all of her lawsuits were dismissed, Pulling began circulating her belief that D&D encouraged devil worship and suicide. Bad described D&D as a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. So, meth... Science. Uh, <laughs> Pulling authored a book, The Devil's Web, Who is Stalking Your Children for Satan, published by Vital Issues Press in 1989. One part of the book urges police officers to open interrogations of suspected teenage occultists with the question, have you read the Necronomicon or are you familiar with it? Wow. By, night, by the way, not a real book, folks. It is actually yeah. a phony book from H.P. Lovecraft stories. If anyone told you differently, they lied. <laughs> uh, by 1991, the American Association of Suicidology, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, and Health and Welfare Canada all concluded that there was no causal link between fantasy gaming and suicide. And bad effectively ceased to exist when Pulling died of lung cancer in 1997 because she was the only member. And, uh, hey, that is sort of a neat segue into our chick track for today, which is Dark Dungeons. The first edition was 1984, but we are reading a amended edition, the most recent one that's available on the website. Yes. Now, around a dining room table in a modest suburban home, seven young folks are seated, and they're playing Dungeons & Dragons. Uh-uh. uh, the game... uh, uh oh, no, oh, oh, they're, they're playing D&D, okay. &D, Chris. Oh, they're playing D&D. Yes, yeah. it's supposed to be, uh... Dark Dungeons, right. but they still call it D&D. It's not Dark and Dungeons. <laughs> no, no, no. It just happens to be D&D. &D. <laughs> yes, just two uh, Ds, yes. In fact, looking at it, this is the deluxe edition. The Dungeon Master, played by a dark-haired woman uh, named Ms. Frost, sits behind one of the fancy screens that came with the individual map packs. Yes, Ms. Frost says, Okay, wizard, cast your spell. And Debbie, a blonde girl in pigtails, says, Okay, Dungeon Master, my spell of light blinds the monster. Her D&D name, by the way, is Elfstar. The thief, Blackleaf, did not find the poison trap, and I declare her dead. One kid named Marcy jumps up out of her seat in a panic, and she is Blackleaf while in the game. Or rather, she was Blackleaf. Aw. And Marcy goes, no, not Blackleaf, no, no, I'm gonna die. Don't make me quit the game, please don't. Somebody save me, you can't do this. Marcy, you get out of here. You're dead. You don't exist anymore. Jeez, can she at least wait for the game to be over so she can, you know, get a ride home or something? I mean, really, this just is, get out of here. Go in the dead to us. Yeah. Uh, after the game is done, Ms. Frost and Debbie have some FaceTime. Debbie, your cleric has been raised to eighth level. I think it's time you learn how we how to really cast spells. You mean you're going to teach me how to have the real power? That's right, Debbie. Here's your first Nintendo Power Glove. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's so bad. Now, uh, Miss Frost replies with, Yes, you have the personality for it now. Clearly, it requires the user to be a stone-cold bitch. For sure. Uh, now, Debbie is taken to a witch's coven, which is a uh, baker's dozen of people standing around. And uh, wouldn't you know it, there's a giant pentagram drawn on the floor. That's how we know it's satanic. Yes, yes. The caption reads, The intense occult of training through D&D prepared Debbie to join a witch's coven. Honestly, the witches recruit an equal number of converts from athletics. Yes. Athletes, so it's like, uh, uh, now, Debbie has taken to this new club she's joined. Uh, excitedly, she tells Ms. Frost all 
about it. Miss Frost, this is fantastic. This makes the game real. Last night I cast my first spell. This is real power. It was a spell to make the new kids in the block the most awesome band ever, and it came true. I'll say. <laughs> now, Ms. Frost replies with, I knew you were ready by the way you played the game, but this is just the beginning. There is so much more. Which spell did you cast, Debbie? I used the mind bonded spell on my father. He was trying to stop me from playing D&D. Hmm, what was the result? He just bought me $200 worth of new D&D figures and manuals. It was great. How about that? <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> later that week, Debbie is hanging out with Ms. Frost. Uh, she, she lives with her for all we know, right? I mean, they're together. Yeah, wow. I don't know what the hell's going on, but fine. Uh, Debbie appears to be playing D&D by herself, which I don't think is possible. There's uh, no solitaire version? I don't think there I thought, yeah, <laughs> I'd have to have other people, but all right. Uh, the telephone rings, and Ms. Frost answers it. Hey, Debbie, Marcy's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. She's really upset. I can't. I'm fighting the zombie. Tell her I'll see her tonight. Come on, last week she's washing her hair. This week she's fighting the zombie. J just end this friendship already. It's not oh, real. All kinds of excuses every week. Yeah. Uh, that night, Debbie heads over to Marcy's house, and Marcy's mom says she's been shut in her room all day. Upon entering Marcy's bedroom, she sees that we see that she's hung herself. Her room is filled with statues and posters of dragons showing how corrupted by evil she'd become. No! No, Marcy! You didn't have to do that! Turns out Marcy left a suicide note as well, and that reads, It's my fault Blackleaf died. I can't face life alone, Marcy. Hey, Marcy, Blackleaf died the way he lived, as a fictional thief in a role-playing game, so... That's how we would have wanted it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, Debbie feels pretty badly about this. Uh, hiding behind her hands, she talks to Miss Frost later on. Miss Frost, I can't get Marcy out of my mind. I mean, it was like five minutes ago. You saw her body swinging. So, I, yeah. I, I, I can't get out of my mind either. I mean, I was going to say, we're, we still remember it. It's just right there. <laughs> How could she do something like this? If I'd left the game, she'd still be alive today. Get your priorities straight, Debbie. Your spiritual growth through the game is more important than some loser's life. That's right. This is exactly as intended by the game's computer nerd creators while in their squalid loser dorm rooms. <laughs> It would have happened sooner or later. Her spirit was too weak. But the law of our faith is that we can do anything we want as long as we harm no one. But now we've harmed Marcy. As far as brainwashing my father to drop 200 bones on me, uh, well, no harm done there. No harm there, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ms. Frost flies into a rage and grabs Debbie by her arms. Don't be stupid, Debbie. I think you'd better let Elfstar handle things. You're getting out of control. I don't want to be Elfstar anymore. I want to be Debbie. Or rather, Deborah. I am growing up after all. Hey, it did work for Debbie Gibson, right? Yeah. Later, Debbie's sitting in the park crying, and some guy named Mike walks up to her. He's got a pitch for her. I can just feel it. Mm -hmm. Hey, Debbie. What's wrong? Can I help? I thought I had all the answers, Mike. But now everything is falling apart. <laughs> Debbie, I told you. Jesus is the only answer. I've been praying and fasting for you. I mean, he's still eating, but he cut out the white bread, so... Well, that, that was for carbs, though. So <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It was a little dubious, uh, <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that for me? And here it comes. Because I know what you're involved in. It's spiritual warfare that you can't win without the Lord Jesus. What can I do? Come with me to a meeting this afternoon. 
All right, but uh, at the last meeting she attended, Debbie learned how to mind control her father. So uh, you'll have to do better than that. I'm just going to have to top that. You yeah, are going to have sure. to come a little stronger, yeah. <laughs> the speaker came out of witchcraft, and he knows what you're up against. And wouldn't you know, that afternoon, Debbie attends that meeting, which is a lecture given by a guy that looks like Elliot Gould. Or maybe like a cross between Elliot Gould and Tom Selleck. Uh, the point is, you probably wouldn't want to be near his uh, windowless van, right? Yeah, he's he, a little hairy for my taste. And curly mm. too. Of the yes, worst. true. It's worse. Uh, <clears throat> this unnamed speaker, who is definitely like that guy we talked about, Todd, uh, says, You who are involved in the account think you have achieved power. But you have been trapped in a dungeon of bondage. The limited power you have been given is only to bait is only bait to lure you to destruction. But Jesus came to you that you might have life and that more abundantly. And now is the portion of the chick track where the New Testament is quoted in order to prove the point of this pamphlet as follows. Jesus set us free from the bondage of witchcraft and gives us victory over the power of the enemy, Satan. John chapter 4, verse 4, and John chapter 8, verse 36. God's word declares that you must repent. Turn to Jesus Christ and trust him alone as your savior. Then, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 19, you should gather up all your occult paraphernalia, like your rock music, your occult books, charms, and dark dungeons material. Uh, this fellow kind of terrifies me, but I need to correct him there. I think he means D&D material, right? Uh, well, whatever it is. <laughs> Don't throw them away. Burn them. We'll do that here tonight. You bring the marshmallows, we bring the sticks. That's right. <laughs> uh, now, Debbie is really moved by the words of this hairy fellow. I guess she really was on the edge because... Uh, he didn't seem all that much more convincing than Ms. Frost. Yeah, she looks like she could have gone either way, I guess. You know, yeah. Whoever tipped her, that Flip would the coin, yeah. the day. Oh, God, I need help. My life's a mess. Help me. Debbie heads up to the speaker who puts his hand on her shoulders. Mm, in the name of Jesus, I order you spirits of the occult to leave, Debbie. This phrase comes with an asterisk, with, uh, which leads to a caption which reads, Warning, see Acts 19, uh, was it chapter, chapter 19, 19, verses 13 through 17. And that verse reads, it's always not uh, written in the book, but it reads, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear, fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So basically what he's saying is, don't be phony when you go out invoking Jesus, or you'll get the clothes beaten off of you. I live by that daily. <laughs> I should. Um, now Debbie repents and adds a little spin at the end. I want God to be in charge of everything. 
Not that lousy D&D manual. I mean, maybe it is the advanced D&D manual that would be above God, but uh, it'd be neck and neck. I yeah, think. a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Now, uh, Debbie burned all of her occult materials that very night. Debbie burned all of her occult materials that night. We just said that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Debbie watches a raging bonfire in the silhouette of a man, presumably the white Afro-having speaker from the religious lecture, stands before the flames with his out- arms outstretched. And uh, really, if we're being honest here, this is the scariest image of the entire movie. It, it really is. This is like the end of, of some horror movie or something. It like, is. You can't kill me, Debbie. <laughs> you know. But Debbie says, Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. And for setting free that $200 my dad blew on me. That was a nice, unexpected bonus. Yeah, we'll just put that in the old positive, the, you know, the, the profit column, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, then this all wraps up with the usual checklist and the Lord's Prayer for you to recite should you want to be saved, plus an opportunity to buy more stuff from Chick Publications. So uh, that wraps that particular tract up, and that is one of the most popular tracks for obvious reasons. Sure. Uh, and, and bless their hearts, like, you could just get it. The chick, they don't care if you want to use their, their material for sarcastic reasons as long as you're oh, yeah. using it, you know, because the hope for is sure. the hope is that someone will just pick it up and, uh, you know, run with it. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, do, I do find this comical, but maybe the... Uh, Thinking behind it isn't so hilarious. Anyway, sure. Uh, more on uh, Jack Chick's uh, company. The company estimates it has printed over 800 million tracts during its first 50 years of business. On its website, they note that our ministry is primarily publishing the gospel tracts of Jack T. Chick, but we do occasionally publish a manuscript in book form. They state that if the content, quote, educates Christians in one of the areas for which we have a tract, we would love to see it, end quote, and cite several examples, The and the online store lists nearly a dozen book categories. Wow. Now, the most popular Chick tract is This Was Your Life. This one's been translated into around 100 languages, and uh, many other tracks are available in widely spoken languages such as Arabic, German, Spanish, and Tagalog. Uh, several of Chick's tracks have been translated into more obscure languages as Blue Hmong, Hoi Chal, Nigambun, I would say. Nigambun, Tushluba, and the constructed language of the Esperanto. Okay. Six of Jack Chick's comics feature anti Catholic crusader, uh, Alberto Ribera specifically. They are Alberto, the Double Cross, the Godfathers, the Force, Four Horsemen, and the Prophet. Uh, Rivera was an anti-Catholic religious activist who claimed to have been born, have been a Jesuit priest before becoming a fundamentalist Protestant. Rivera was the source of many of the conspiracy theories about the Vatican and the Jesuits espoused by Jack Chick. Now, the Southern Poverty Law Center has designated Chick Publications as an active hate group. They were listed due to their strong anti-Catholic, anti-Muslim, and anti-homosexual rhetoric. And frankly, I think he's probably got the most anti-Catholic tracts I've ever seen, like dozens of them, yeah. really against Catholics. Uh, Chick tracts also like to dip into the anti-Semitic, the anti-Freemasonry, and anti-pop uh, culture wells frequently. The Hindu American Foundation put on an electronic PDF paper called Hyperlink to Hindu Phobia, Online Hatred, Extremism, and Bigotry Against Hindus, which contains a section on Chick's site. 
The paper ends with the statement, Chick Publications promotes hatred not just against Hindus, but also towards Muslims, Catholics, and others, as evidenced by the following titles of their tracts. Last Rites. When this Catholic dies, he learns that his church couldn't save him. Another one, The Little Bride. Protect children against being recruited as Muslims. Lil Susie explains that only Jesus can save them. Another one is Allah had no son. The Allah of Islam is not the God of creation. In both of these anti-Islamic tracts, Allah is revealed to be a pagan moon god. Catholic Answers magazine has called Chick savagely anti-Catholic and describes Chick's statements about the Catholic Church as bizarre and often grotesque in their arguments and calls for the tracts to be pulled from the market and corrected. In the early 1980s, Chick's stance on Catholicism led some led to some Christian bookstores to stop stocking his tracts, uh, and so uh, and he withdrew from the Christian Booksellers Association after the association considered expelling him. The magazine Christianity Today described Chick as an example of the world of ordinary, non-learned evangelicals, for whom atavistic anti-Catholicism remains as colorful and unmistakable as ever. Jack Chick said on his website that he was strong in his attacks on Catholicism because, quote, he loves Catholics and wants them to be saved through faith in Jesus. Oh, well, that is nice then. I'm sorry. I didn't know Catholics had that problem. <laughs> I really They didn't know that either. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> uh, the Chick's publications website is blocked in Singapore. In December 2008, a Singaporean couple was charged with sedition for distributing the Chick tracks, The Little Bride and Who is Allah, said to promote feelings of ill will and hostility between Christians and Muslims in Singapore. Uh, the content of the track That Crazy Guy was changed after the rise of the AIDS crisis. The track was originally about herpes. They changed it to AIDS because that was hmm. something they felt was more homosexual. Uh, also, the ending to The Poor Little Witch, where a little girl is murdered by Satanists after forsaking occultism and converting to fundamentalist Christianity was changed because it erroneously stated that every year in the U.S. at least 40,000 people are murdered in witchcraft ceremonies, which is about twice the entire reported homicide rate for the U.S. They just, they're just not reported. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Keeping, it, keeping it down the low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chick's, wife's Lo Chick's wife, Lola, passed away in uh, 1998. Their daughter, Carol, passed away in 2001. Jack remarried a woman in the late 1990s named Susie. Chick was a very reclusive person, having given one interview between 1975 and 2006. And that was for the Jack Chick documentary, which exists and can be seen on the web. Uh, we'll, we'll include the link in our show notes. Uh, in a 2005 interview of his company's newsletter, Battle Cry, Chick reported that he had a life-threatening health emergency sometime between 2003 and 2005. He said, my flu turned into, into pneumonia. No, into pneumonia. 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 My flu turned to pneumonia. My blood sugar, blood sugar dropped to 20. I am diabetic. I was going into a coma. My wife called 911, and while they were on their way, I had a heart attack. A day or so later, I had to undergo a triple bypass. Jack Chick would die in his sleep. He was found in the morning of October 23, 2016, in Alhambra, California. As of January 2015, Chick Publications had produced over 250 different titles, about 100 of which are still in print and are available in over 100 languages. And you can get them right from his website. They'll send you a whole box of them, as mm -hmm. I myself did years back. Uh, also, I think it's interesting that he, he uh, pretty much grew up and died in the same neighborhood in California. So How about that? Yeah. I guess, guess he liked it there. So uh, we're going to wrap up here with uh, what we're calling the Animal House style wrap-up <laughs> of all the main players in the story. 
story we've told here. Uh, we're going to go back, of course, to the first guy we mentioned in 1973. John Todd was invited by evangelist, evangelist Jug Clark to appear in his amazing prophecy show on the Faith Broadcasting Network filmed at, Cof- at a filmed at a coffee house ministry. Uh, allegations surfaced that he'd been making sexual advances toward young women and teenage girls at the coffee house, and he was incorporating incorporating witchcraft teachings into his Bible studies, that he was carrying a 38 caliber handgun into church meetings and was using drugs. In addition, he also impregnated his wife's teenage sister. Huh. So Todd was dismissed from the coffee house ministry, and Clark denounced him on the television show. In 1976, after he had moved to Dayton, Ohio, and established a Wiccan uh, coven, as we mentioned, Todd became the subject of a criminal investigation over reports that he involved underage girls in sexual initiation rituals for his coven. Following an investigation of his activities by neo-pagan leaders Isaac Bonewitz and Gavin Frost, which uncovered drug use and underage sex, Frost Church and School of Wicca revoked Todd's charter. Uh, he was convicted of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and given a six-month sentence, but served only two months before being re- released due to epileptic fits. Todd would be arrested in May 1987 for the rape of a University of South Carolina graduate student. After his arrest, he was additionally charged with sexually molesting two children who attended a karate school where he worked. He was convicted of the rape in January 1988 and sentenced to 30 years in state prison. In 2004, Todd was released, but he was put in the care of the South Carolina Department of Mental Health, and on November 10th, 2007, he passed away in their care. Uh, yeah, so now the uh, next fellow, Mike Warnke. In 1991, Cornerstone Magazine launched an investigation into the satanic seller author Mike Warnke's life and testimony. Pictures of Warnke taken during the time he was alleged to be a satanic priest were discovered, and rather than showing an emaciated drug addict sporting long fingernails and waist-length hair, the pictures showed Warnke as a typical square of the mid-1960s. The investigation also revealed Warnke's claims that he and Charles Manson had attended a satanic ritual to be false. Manson was in federal prison at the time, having no known ties to satanic churches. The investigation further uncovered that before joining the Navy, Warnke had been involved in the college Christian ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, and therefore he did not convert while in the service. Questions about the accuracy of the allegations and Michelle Remembers were raised shortly after the book was published. In an October October 27, 1980 article in McLean's magazine, Paul Gresco interviewed Michelle Smith's father, Jack Proby, who denied the allegations against Smith's deceased mother, Virginia, and claimed that he could refute all of the allegations in the book. Gresco also interviewed the mother of a childhood friend of Smith, who described Smith's mother as a kind and charming woman. He also noted that the book failed to make any mention of Smith's two sisters, Cheryl and Tertia, or that Pazder and Smith had divorced their spouses and married each other. Hmm, now and that's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, they, they, they should have led with that. Yeah, really. uh, In 1990, an article in the Mail on Sunday news magazine exposed further inconsistencies, and a book in 1995 titled Satan's Silence by Debbie Nathan fairly well debunked the entire story. Those initial couples accused in that Kern County child abuse case had their convictions overturned in 1996, and the four of them were released. To the New York Times in 2004, one of the accusers in the Kern County case admitted it never happened and claimed he had lied about abuse by one person who remained in prison for 19 years. 
Wow. He and three other accusers returned to the courthouse in 2004 to recant their allegations of molestations, uh, molestation, and the convicted sued Kurt County and were awarded $5 million in, con- con- in compensation in 2009. The county paid out nearly $10 million to settle claims made by the former prisoners and the alleged victims. Crazy. Uh, in 1995, rulings in the Fells Acres Daycare Center case were overturned in Massachusetts Superior Court on appeal because the convicted were not allowed to face their accusers. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, however, reinstated the conviction, citing the need for finality. While waiting for this verdict, one of the accused died. Another judge allowed a motion to retry the case, stating that the children's interrogations were so tainted by grave errors in the investigation process that they could not be used in any, in any new trial. Despite a masterful case that proved statements made by children under duress or who have been questioned for prolonged periods of times are often false, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court once again ruled to uh, send the accused back to prison. In 1999, one of the accused was released on time served and 10 years probation with a stipulation that she should never give an interview on the subject. The other convicted member had his sentence commuted in 2001 and was released in 2004. I mean, I, I love these deals they cut, you know what I mean? You, so wild. Well, you can say you're innocent, but we'll call you guilty, you know what I mean? You yeah. can, we'll let you we'll go, let you but you can you never talk, talk about, about it. it. Like, yeah. you know, give me a break. Uh, anyway, oh. uh... All five convictions in that Bronx Five case that involved that Methodist minister, they were ultimately overturned in the 1990s. Uh, in March 1993, after five years in prison, the owner of the We Care Nurseries trial was, uh, uh, that appeal was successful, and she was released. The New Jersey Supreme Court overturned the lower court's decision and declared that the interviews of the children were highly improper and utilized coercive and unduly suggestive methods. All rulings in the Little Rascals daycare case were also overturned, and the case was thrown out in 1997. Before that, however, two of the three accused who did not accept the plea deal were sentenced to life in prison. One was sentenced to 12 consecutive life terms. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Arunza and his wife Michelle are, fo- are the founders of Our Savior's Church with several churches in Louisiana and an online presence at OurSavior'sChurch.com. You can follow Arunza at Pastor Jacob Arunza on Instagram. Uh, he's kind of moved away from his earlier claims about heavy metal back- backmasking, though he did write another book about it, which was called More Rock Country and Backward Masking Unmasked in 1985. It was a two-book deal. That's right. Yeah, to fill it out. Yeah. Uh, By 1991, the American Association of Suicidology, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, and the Health and Welfare Canada all concluded that there was no causal link between fantasy gaming and suicide. Patricia Pulling once told a newspaper reporter that 8% of the people living in Richmond, Virginia, were Satanists. Uh, She had arrived at that figure, she explained, by estimating that 4% of adults and 4% of teenagers were involved in Satanism. And she added those to get 8%. That's how it works, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When the reporter informed her that mathematically that was 4%, not 8%, Pulling claimed that it was not a matter, it it did not matter because 8% was a, quote, conservative figure. Oh, okay, then, because she's decided. She's playing the odds low. That's the kind of person you want to go to them and say, ma'am, we're going to have to ask you to never say anything ever, okay? I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't even put it, don't even send her to court. Just cut that deal. Just Just don't talk. Cut the deal right away. Yeah. Uh, Anti-Catholic crusader, I'll Alberto Rivera died in 1997 of colon cancer. In 1981, an expose in Cornerstone magazine
magazine and another one in Christianity Today questioned many of Rivera's claims about his life, alleging that he was a fraud. According to the coroner's own expose, Rivera had a history of legal entanglements, including fraud, credit card theft, and writing bad checks. Warrants had been issued for his arrest in New Jersey and Florida, and he was wanted by the Spanish police for swindles and cheats. While in the U.S. in 1967, he claimed to be collecting money for a Spanish college, and they never did receive that money. The document exhibited by Rivera to prove his status as a Catholic priest was fraudulent. The Catholic Church denies his claim of having been a Jesuit priest, or another claim that he was ever a bishop. Alberto's sister was not a nun. She did not live in a convent, as he claimed. Uh, so the claim that his sister, the nun, di- nearly died in a convent in London, that was a little problematic. Just a touch, no. yeah. And we'll shift to another Rivera. The uh, satanic <laughs> panic of the 1980s probably reached its apex on October 22, 1988, when the Geraldo Rivera show aired an episode called Exposing Satan's Underground. He featured law enforcement and occult experts, as well as people who claimed to be or have been Satanists, rock musicians, and people that claimed to have suffered satanic ritual abuse. Even Ozzy Osbourne was there. Hey, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead of giving credence to the theories of satanic conspiracy, this episode fairly well debunked them for many Americans, and other media personalities blasted NBC for airing these falsehoods as truths. Yeah, if you ever see this episode, and I think you could see at least part of it on YouTube. I'm right sure now, it's, yeah. You look at it, and you see the circus on stage, and, and I can just imagine a lot of Americans like... What have we been buying into? Like what? Right. The, you know, like it, 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 the fog goes away. You know, it's all like, clear now. You probably read, they read the book. They see the guy that wrote it. They're like, "What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, people still believe that Satan lurked in our popular media and public education systems. Hey, people still believe it today. But by the mid 1990s, the fervor that fueled the satanic panic had mostly died down. And I think we're sort of in a Maybe we're in a, a satanic panic lull right now. I feel maybe yeah. not. Yeah, uh, maybe we're, they... we're in yellow. We're in satanic panic yellow. Exactly. Right yeah. We're at DefCon three. We're just yeah. kind of sitting there. <laughs> so uh, have you uh, have you run into any chick tracks in the wild? Lately? I did. As a matter of fact, the very first chick track I got, I can tell you exactly where I got it. It was on Main Street in Flushing, Queens. Uh, I was about. 12 or 13 on my way into Manhattan for reasons I don't remember why and uh, a Korean woman handed it to me and it was This Was Your Life How about uh, that? And I, I remember what about you? You ever, you ever get any in the streets? I well, not in the streets, but uh, I, I I did some contract work for the government uh, uh-huh. about uh, ten years ago, and we got a lot of mail, and uh-huh. uh, daily we would get chick tracks in the mail. Wow, daily! Yeah, oh yeah, that's a and, and they were usually the same ones, but uh, yeah, that was that was the first. I, I you know I knew of them, you yeah. know, just from knowing things, but uh, that was the first time I actually had my hands on one. It was uh. Interesting. Were they from chick publications or were they from people trying to save they from, themselves? They were from people. They oh, were from the, people a... all over the country. <laughs> and uh, and unfortunately, it was uh, I so I shouldn't a... be laughing, but it's like, talk about just throwing a dart, right? Just right? like, well, let's right? see whatever could happen, you know? <laughs> and and it, we're, we were in like a like a, a stay-in department, so I couldn't take anything home with me. Oh. But uh, like I had this stack of them, like, oh, that, that would be neat to just, just to have as, a, as an oddity. Yeah. But uh, – but yeah, they we would get them daily. Uh, sometimes they'd even come with powder in them. So what are you gonna do? Hey, you don't want those. <laughs> uh, over the years, I probably got oh I don't know half a dozen, but uh, ten or so years ago, you you can go to uh, and we'll put the link in there. I believe it's chick.com is the so, website, yeah. uh, and you can buy yourself a box of them. And and it's they're, they're really a, an interesting organization because for example, that documentary I talked about is sort of tongue in cheek. 
And Jack Chick, when he was told about it, he knew it was. But yeah. he, didn't, he didn't care. It's all about getting the message out getting there. Getting the message out. And yeah. uh, that's, that's his impetus. Now, it's too bad it's a somewhat hateful and wrong-minded message, but For sure. uh, I got to admire the tenacity of the guy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so... And, uh... Yeah, I think that uh, that that'll probably do it for us this week, huh? Or this yeah. month, I should say. I think that, yeah, I think I think we uh, piled a bunch of uh, satanic stuff on the people for them for the to the holidays. This uh, and we, I was gonna Christmas. say we picked the right month for it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the folks who are listening, we de- you guys are our patrons, and we want to thank you from the bottom of our. Uh, I can't think of a funny adjective, hearts. That's right, our our chickful hearts or whatever. There you are. <laughs> our dark dungeons hearts. Uh, of course, like we say, you can always write to us, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can comment on this Patreon post. Hit us up on Twitter, on DM, whatever you like, uh, whatever you want <laughs> to uh, holler at us. And uh, really let us know if you want us to set something up where uh, you guys can talk to each other in, a, I don't know, an easier, whatever you want, just... Yeah, tell us. We are at your beck and call. Please let us know uh, how we can improve. This is the suggestion box. Exactly, yeah. your experience, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that's all we got from this week, our month, Chris. I uh, got anything else for him? <laughs> no, it'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill darkly. See ya. Welcome to the campaign. I'm about to put the party in the fast lane. Bring pain to the divine and arcane. Go hard like a bard on cocaine. Unchained. I'm a PC's nightmare. Better believe I'm prepared to go there. Bar fight with 71 bugbears. Put your DPR in a wheelchair. This is the way that it goes. Everyone knows. I keep them up on their toes. I never run out of foes. So I suppose you should be practicing those. Put a quest up in the northwest. Railroad you to the southeast. Won't develop a good storyline for like three sessions. At least. I don't really want to kill you. But the DM got to do what the DM got to do. And if you're going to be coming with an attitude, let me remind you of all of the latitude I've been allowing you. You're ungrateful. Y'all don't really want to see me get hateful. Don't nobody want to see me get ridiculous and do another TPK. Dice, quality clean. clean. Ice all up on my screen. Green. I'm nice until I get mean. There's no in between. I'm a machine. Look, I could put all of you into a castle full of a thousand chests. And one of the chests contains an item required for you to continue the quest. And all of the other unopened containers are mimics and traps. So you'll have to open them all to recover the item, which is a map that will lead you into a complex dungeon with enough gold to make the whole team rich. But you better be ready to go to battle with a demon lord and a lich. So don't bitch when I give you a puzzle to put a muzzle on your tendency to deviate in metagame. I'm liable to kill a character for knowing the reason that I think that it needed a better name. This game was a mistake. I think I'm gonna need to take a little break. That's it. I'm done. Goodbye. Oh yeah. Rocks fall. Everybody dies. Dies. Dies.